Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. If you're feeling brave and bold and you want to expand to another country quickly and in a big way, maybe your answer is to actually buy or merge another company in that country. That could be a competitor. It could be a complementary business. But either way, if you've got the opportunity, there are a lot of potential advantages. For a start, you get an established company with all of the necessary infrastructure. In most cases, you'll be able to change the name of the company you acquire to match your brand. You don't have to find accountants. You don't have to register with tax authorities. You don't have to find and hire staff. And you don't need to find or lease premises. You don't even need to find customers because the company you're acquiring should already have them. With the new company, you may get new products and services that you can add to your range. And if you manage the whole business well, you'll get synergy benefits by eliminating duplication in admin functions. It can be a real fast-track route to establishing your business in another country. That's true regardless of which country it is, but perhaps especially good if you want to gain a foothold in one of the more difficult ones where bureaucracy rules and the language barrier may end up being the least of your problems. But to my mind, even more important is the resulting increase in the value of your company. Put simply, when it comes to sell up or float, a company with at least one overseas subsidiary is worth at least double that of one with the same revenues and profits that are only derived from one country, or one that just exports from its home base without actually having any overseas operations of its own. Of course, you can achieve that international expansion uh, generically in many ways, um, but merger and acquisition could be a real fast-track way to grow the value of your business. Obviously, it's not for everyone, but it's also not solely the preserve of big listed companies. Small and medium ones can do mergers and acquisitions too. In this podcast, I'm in conversation with another Oliver, Oliver Froment. With his team, he's based in Pro Capital in London. Oliver is dedicated to helping smaller companies acquire or merge with suitable targets in other countries and, where necessary, get the financing they need to do that. Oliver's been working in finance for a long time. He founded his company, Pro Capital, in 1993 after he'd already built up more than 10 years of international financial and corporate experience. His firm is FCA regulated and started as a capital market firm, transacting debt and equity-linked securities and investments and advisory services. But more recently, Oliver's focused on mergers and acquisitions and raising capital for companies. And he's completed over a thousand transactions in 40 countries. So it's a subject that he knows a lot about. Have a listen to our conversation in this podcast and see what you think. So today I'm with Oliver Froment. Welcome, Oliver, to the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. Thank you for having me. So 
We're going to talk about mergers and acquisitions as a route to international expansion. And that's an area you specialize in, right, Oliver? That, that is correct. And uh, we tend to focus on, uh, uh, we deal both with very large counterparties and small counterparties. And very often, the, uh, on one side of our equation is a small counterparty. And that's where we differentiate with a lot of uh, different M&A uh, institutions. Uh, we'll have companies that have sales of two, three, four, five, ten million dollars. Uh, and we'll find them counterparties on a global basis. Great. So before we get further into that detail, let's, can we just sort of cover the first basis of what are the reasons for merger and acquisition? What does it help to achieve for businesses wanting to expand internationally? Well, that's a good question. It's, there are several aspects. I would say it depends on, on, on company specific, but with m and you can, you can access new markets. Can be new markets in terms of uh, new customers or new, new geographies or a combination of both. It can be new products, new technology, uh, it can be achieving more critical mass uh, and, and, and uh, uh, in terms of research and development or, or sales force or, or eliminating duplication uh, and also it can give you more financial clout. So in essence you could say that this is like creating uh, an instant multinational. That is correct but you know when people talk of multinational uh, the uh, usually mean or, or, or have an idea of a large company of anywhere from a few hundred million to a multi-billion in sales or market cap. This not need be. So I would say you're creating a new uh, micro, it can be that you create a new micro uh, multinational. Um, because it, it, one always reads about the mergers and acquisitions of sort of really big companies. On this podcast, most of our listeners are geared to smaller companies than that. Isn't mergers and acquisitions really solely the preserve of big asset, big multinationals? Well, it depends. We need to go a bit specific here. Because if you're talking about two very large companies trying to, uh, uh, let's say a multi-billion dollar company trying to acquire another billion dollar company, yeah, the Goldman Sachs of this world and all those big companies w w it's, will have a, a commanding market share and, and a nimble operator uh, won't be really, uh, often won't be, have a significant presence in that market. But on, on the other side of the coin, uh, the, the big accounting firm, the big investment, the, the McKinsey of this world, the big consultants, etc., don't tend to focus on small companies for one one very specific reason. It doesn't generate enough fees to cover their their expensive staff. Absolutely. Um, well, that's that's clearly understandable. So you're saying they're effectively niche operators, perhaps like yourself, um, working in for smaller or medium sized companies. That is correct. And and where uh, there's there's a fair number of niche operators, but those niche operators tend to operate on, on, their, on, on their domestic market and there are fewer and we, we are one of, one, of a, uh, one of the leading companies in, in that sector, M&A uh, specialists for, for small cap that uh, operate on a global basis. So we, we uh, currently we have some mandates where we uh, um, companies that are under uh, t very, very excellent companies under uh, 10 million dollar revenues 
and we're finding them uh, counterparties anywhere large, sometimes mid-size, but on a, on a global basis, we in on, on, on three continents. Right, so you're actually working not just in finding the finance, but also actually finding the target. How does a small or medium company find um, a, a takeover target or a merger target? Well, there are, uh, there are several ways this can be achieved. Uh, first of all, uh, Sometime a company may be aware of certain uh, companies in their sector that that are located overseas and would think would make a good target. So they or or, or some customers, or they, they they may have already a a certain knowledge. Uh, but also you, you have a, a, a smaller uh, nimble consultants such as ourselves uh, that uh, know of companies that want to sell out and also will do a lot of research. And uh, uh, you know we have a huge database, and also we're very proactive. You know, uh, we we uh, sort of uh, uh, the, f- the first thing we need is to understand uh, what the acquiring comp- the, the uh, DNA of the acquiring company, and then uh, sort of uh, discuss sort of the profile of the companies that that the acquirer is looking for, and then we'll canvas companies that, are, that meet those criteria. So, in the past, I mean, go back one stage, I mean, I know that many businesses, perhaps more almost all business people, have some sort of pushback to consultants. People think that, you know, consultants are somebody, or they're an evil that they're going to charge me a lot of money for something I could do myself. But my own experience uh, um, uh, selling my own businesses in the past is that, in fact, it's uh, almost essential. Um, could we talk about sort of the reasons why a third-party consultancy is actually uh, desirable and potentially even necessary to um, create an M&A operation? Yeah, well, it's, it's a good question. There, there are many, many reasons. Um, outline some of these reasons here. Um, for example, a company may not necessarily uh, want to sort of, uh, if you approach another company, they may not, it's very time consuming, so they may not necessarily be very open to you, so you need to sort of uh, sort of uh, outline various possibilities and also understand the exact requirements. So it's it's a full-time job. And uh, also there's a, uh, sometimes you, it's, you know, different countries, so you need different languages, so you need specialist staff. And uh, also you have a, a network of uh, uh, businesses that you already know that you know another company you may not know uh, who is operating on the, on the west coast USA or was operating in Brazil or was uh, operating in Malaysia and, and we have that sort of network. Right and I guess that even if the business already knows of companies that they would ideally like to take over or be interested in doing it there's a value in having a third party from the viewpoint of discretion and um, understanding of how to negotiate the best price. Yes, absolutely. Um, the uh, from, from you know some sometime very often companies that are for sale don't necessarily want this to be a no, known in the open market. So they they uh, want to know the exact profile of the of the other of the other party and and then. And then they uh, uh, will be ready to open up and, and, and enter into a real conversation. So if you if you uh, approach a company and say, "Are you for sale?" Well, 
people say sometimes they will say yes but sometimes say well we're open to any any suggestions so that's where you you uh, sort of uh, put your foot in, in the door so to speak right and I guess it works both ways because the company is actually potentially doing the acquiring and doesn't always want other businesses to know that it's uh, looking in that space. Absolutely, and it's also uh, sometimes can be sensitive for to customers, but also to employees and or 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 or, or to or to their bank. And that's where uh, you know a consultant is um, will be of great value because it will be on a no-name basis. We'll give a profile of the company and we'll agree on the profile that we will divulge. And then, uh, well, you know, it's an interactive process. Eventually, we'll feed this through reports to to, to the to the company and say, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, let's let, let's go into a real uh, into the nitty-gritty of a of a negotiation. Right. So. The problem at the end of the day, I know that a lot of people will probably think who are listening to this, is that consultants are very expensive and it's going to cost them a lot of money to actually go this route of M&A. Well, that's a very good point, but let's, let's again, uh, if you're a McKinsey or, or, or Goldman Sachs, you typically will have a senior partner and a junior. Well, the senior partner will have a salary of several hundred thousand pounds and uh, the junior will be anywhere from, uh, you know, uh, would be billed at anywhere from 100 to 200,000 pounds uh, per annum. So what it means is, is, you know, as soon as you put your, you, you, you enter the, uh, into a contractual agreement with, with those companies, you're going to be charged, you know, a pretty hefty amount of fees with tens of thousands of, uh, of dollars. Uh, we, we, we're not a charity, we don't work for, for, for nothing, but we'll, we'll, we'll take a fraction of that fee, but also our fee would be very conditional on very specific, uh, very specific um, work, and we'll itemize the work and, and we'll agree with, with the customer. So the work can be presentation, can be uh, contacting customers, etc. The presentation will charge a small fraction of what other consultants, uh, large consultant charge, and in terms of contacting people, will will charge on a per contacted person a very small fee, uh, 30 40 50 dollars uh, with a cap, mm-hmm. and then our, our main fee will be a success fee. So uh, and all the all the other little the entry fees will be deducted from the success fee. So to, to answer to the big picture is we'll, we'll charge a fraction in terms of a, a mm. fixed fee what a large consultant will charge because well, our, our overhead are much smaller. And I guess it's also a matter of the devil you know because if you work with a big what company like a McKinsey's of this world, you might get to meet a senior partner to actually be sold the service but then you're going to have potentially the latest MBA graduate recruit they've got actually doing the job. Precisely, and and uh, uh, you know, in, in our case, we are uh, we've been transacting in in in, uh, in in financial markets for thirty years, and we uh, uh, have done deal with over one thousand counterparties, uh, ranging anywhere from a few million to uh, hundreds of million of dollars. Right. So, these are all credible numbers for any sort of business looking at expanding abroad, except perhaps the very smallest. So. But once one's a medium and established company, it's a serious opportunity to go to um, M&A. But they're still not going to probably have the money in the bank. 
to go out and pay millions of dollars or millions of euros straight out in order to buy a company outright. Um, what do they do then? Well, uh, uh, we we're not magicians, but we um, you know capital market is our is our forte is our background. Uh, we uh, raised in the past billions of dollars for uh, small companies all the way at the time small companies like CNN. Uh, and to large company RJ. CNN so we, sounds like a big company to me. But well, at the time, it was Ted Turner. It was it was it was a high yield issue, and they were uh, they were under the radar screen in in right. in, in, in the uh, um, in the eighties, and we were there. Uh, uh, I was there raising money for them when they at, at you know at inception. And uh, uh, right. so we, we, we track record. Yeah, we 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 have done too large one for RJR and Abisco, etc. So all the way to, to very small. So we know very well the investor base. The, the investor base is huge. It's it's uh, we're talking uh, not individual here. We're talking sort of a institu- institutional or a large investor. So they range from. Uh, Corporates. Sometimes you have venture capital arms of corporates that will will, uh, will do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, also have family offices. I'm talking large family offices uh, that runs anywhere from a, a few hundred million to billions, uh, and there are long-term investors. Uh, you have capital market firm, capital market counterparties such as insurance companies, uh, institutional, institutional investors. And then also you have private equity firms, and those, and we're talking about thousands of, of such counterparties, and and some have minimum of a few, of a few millions, some have minimum of tens of millions to to invest. So so uh, there is no shortage of uh, would be uh, investors on a global basis. Right, um, but even then, it's not necessarily the case that uh, you know a acquisition will actually require all the money to be paid out up front right absolutely right you know it's it's uh it's on a case-by-case basis uh sometime there could be uh exchange of shares it could be profit sharing um and you know some of the acquired companies are very often will want to uh uh their management to stay in place and actually if you're a small company you would rather have uh, a significant amount of the share uh, of the existing uh, share, I mean, um, management to stay in place because you know if, if it's on another continent, it's you don't want to stretch your resources too thin. Absolutely. So it's it, it's a big topic and it's a great opportunity, I think, for businesses that are prepared to open their minds not only to international expansion but also to having ending up with a much bigger company but potentially not a hundred percent of the ownership of it anymore so they'll might dilute their ownership but they'll have you know it's like 50 percent of 20 million is worth an awful lot more than 100 percent of 1 million um so there's great opportunities in doing it um but it looks like a very big process how long does it all take well, my answer to this is how long is a, spe- is a piece of string? It's case by case. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to require several, at the very minimum, several months. But it can be anywhere from, from a few months to over one year. It, it depends on, on the complexity. It depends how, uh, uh, you know, how quickly you find a right fit, negotiating the, 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 the deal. And also very often with small companies, uh, 
the the owners are, are quite stretched in terms of uh, running their own business and, sure. and it's quite a you know it's a full-time job for us uh, the other company but we, we can't do it alone we need also be uh, at some stage we'll need you know 20 30 you know let's say out of 100 hours uh, maybe 80 hours will be our time but we'll need 20 hours of the uh, of the acquirer and, and same with the acquirer and, and those companies sometime are stretched because they focus on their day-to-day business. Right, and I guess compared to just generic international expansion, you're looking at a much higher level of individual. You can't just have you know, the uh, chief expansion officer. You've actually got to have the you know, the brings in the founders and the absolutely um, big shareholders. Absolutely, and so. and 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 every, everybody has uh, different requirements. Uh, absolutely correct. Mm. Um, and. How much of the process can actually be safely taken away by consultants such as your your team? For well, example? well, I would say the um, I, I give you this rough figure. I would say eighty percent of the work we do, twenty percent the the company will do. Because let's look for example at a case just as simple thing as a presentation. Uh, the presentation may be already already in place, in which case. Uh, there'd be zero input from us but very often we'll need to to sort of uh, uh, put an executive summary uh, on a no-name basis to a bit of a uh, a SWOT analysis uh, to to understand a a bit the competitor the company will know very often their competitors but we also like to have our own view on this and and then we'll 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 sort of uh, um, be very interactive we'll we'll sort of uh, uh, show this the our, our first draft to uh, to our customer, and they, they will have their comments. And uh, so, basically, I don't know if I answer your question, but that's that's the the way the process w- w- would work. Okay, well, that's great, Oliver. I, th- I think it's really interesting. Obviously, it's something that's completely different for every business in many ways. Absolutely, so there's no one size fits all. Yeah. Um, if you, the audience listening. Uh, uh, interested in the possibility of uh, going this route of M&A towards expanding your business internationally, you might want to get in touch with Oliver and have a chat with him. Um, you can find his details on the webpage that accompanies this on www.growinternational.org. In that, you'll find the link to Oliver's website and his phone number so you can uh, call him or a member of his team and uh, and find out what uh, further routes or further opportunities and whether it's right for you. It's mergers and acquisitions, really interesting way of, um, you know, there might be a big process, but it's a fast track to a very big international company, and it's certainly going to be right for some of our listeners. Yeah. So, Oliver, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Oliver, Oliver for, for, for your time. Great to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. 
Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think. Mm-hmm.